Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And today, before I introduce our guest, I wanted to talk to you about something I don't usually talk about on this show, and it's the subject of faith. And the reason I kind of stay away from it is because this is a Breast Friends program, and it's, you know, we're a nonprofit, and we are not considered a religious organization, and so we try really hard not to, you know, go down that path too far, going one direction or another, but... But that doesn't change who the people are within Breast Friends. And I became a Christian back in 1980. And the reason I want to share this with you is because I have a really big thing coming up here at, at this afternoon that um, I just wanted to reach out to all of our listeners out there, those who, who are prayer warriors and those who, who just you know believe and would be willing to send a prayer in my direction. I would really um, appreciate it. Uh, basically... It's about my my score or my test scans for my um, for my cancer. Back in March, I was tested. I had scans then. That was the first time in three months. And in that the the time before that, um, the my cancer tumors had seemed to be maybe going backwards a little bit, which is a good thing. But then in March, when I got scanned, it just went off like a rocket. It went from my lungs to my liver to my bones. And it's in my spine. It's in all kinds of places. So it's been kind of a tough road these last three months. My doctor took me off of my drug that I was on at that time and switched me up. But even he said to me, Becky, the best we can do, we can't make this go away with medicine. The best we can do is buy you more time. And, you know, those those were hard words to hear, but not a surprise because stage four metastatic breast cancer is kind of a sort of the nature of the beast. And it's hard, it's hard to make it go away. But I do believe in the power of prayer. And way back, um, gosh, many years ago, my husband and I went to a Christian retreat. And at that retreat, they had a healing ceremony. And I went forward and asked for for healing for my eyes because my eye, my vision is terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. And I went forward. They anointed my eyes with oil. They claimed my sight to be restored in the name of Jesus. I went outside. I put my glasses on so I could read the street signs because, I mean, I'm really blind. I can't even see the flower buds without my glasses on. So I put my glasses on and realized I couldn't see anything. It was terrible. I took my glasses off and I could see everything. It was crystal clear. And then this voice came into my head and said, stand up and proclaim it. And I chose not to. I thought, what if I proclaim it and it's just a, it's just a momentary thing? And I, and I rejected it. And it wasn't but minutes later, moments later, actually, that my vision returned to the poor state that it was in. And so I know that that was a missed opportunity. And, you know, God was trying to heal me, and I was refusing to acknowledge it publicly. So today, I am going to acknowledge that I need Jesus to heal my cancer. People have been praying for me all over the country, and I am very... Sorry, I'm getting emotional, but I'm very touched by that. And I know that there is healing available to me through Jesus, through his love, 
And he would love it to be that way, too, because what a testimony that would be to people who don't believe and to people who have been praying and do believe. What a wonderful witness it will be that to them to see it. So I'm asking for all of you prayer, <clears throat> prayer warriors out there to join in into that, that prayer with me today and that Jesus would heal this cancer and just make it go away. It's the only way it's going to be gone. And, you know, I just feel like there's still so much left to do. And if he feels the same way, then he can heal me from this. So I just want to claim it right now and ask for your support in that. So with that, um, on with our show. Thank you for listening and not tuning me out. Um, we have another beautiful young survivor on our show with us today. And two weeks ago, we ran a show where we had three guests that talked about what it's like to be diagnosed at a young age with breast cancer. And today our guest is no different. Uh, Her story's a little different, and what she's done with it is different. But I am very, very privileged to introduce her. April Stearns was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 35, um, which is, as we know, a somewhat rare occurrence. She found out that talking to others who have experienced the same thing that, that that's what got her through it, you know, being able to talk to other people. And so she's now helping others do the same. April launched a magazine called Wildfire as a way for younger women to tell their own stories and read the breast cancer stories of others. And I'm really excited to have her on our show today because she's going to bring a new, fresh perspective. So welcome, April. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Becky. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're well, really, we're really- Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time. We're having a little technical difficulty. We're going to give it another minute, and if it does this again, we'll go out to break. But um, right now, I think it sounds okay right now. Anyway, so April, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your diagnosis, when it happened, what was the... What was the diagnosis? Um, You know, how how did it come about? Just tell us all all of that information. Sure, absolutely. So as you said, I was 35 at the time and a newer parent. So I was all wrapped up in parenting my daughter and just experiencing life from that perspective. Um, You know, when something new like that comes along, it's it's all encompassing. So I was um, working as a conference producer, parenting my young child. Life was just really great. And then one night I felt a lump in my breast and I was one of those people who called my doctor right away, even though I had no reason to suspect that it was breast cancer. I just wanted it to be uh, looked at by an expert as quickly as possible. So my gynecologist got me in right away and she was very reassuring that it was likely just something related to breastfeeding, you know, a clogged milk duct or something of that nature. But she also wanted to act quickly. So she made an appointment for me to get a, I hadn't been having any mammograms up until that point since I was only 35. And it took a little while for me to get over to uh to that appointment just because I think they were booked out and whatnot. So three weeks passed before I was able to get to that mammogram. But once I was there, things progressed really quickly. And before long, I was diagnosed with a seven centimeter tumor, lymph node. Wow. That's, That's a big one. 
It was quite big. Um, and I'm HER2 positive. Mm-hmm. So later, eventually, I met my oncologist. He, he told me, you know, HER2 is quick growing. And so likely it hadn't even been there you know, a month prior to me actually feeling that lump. It just had had grown really quickly. Well, you know, a couple of things I just want to comment on that. First off, you were very fortunate to have a medical provider who who took action pretty quickly. I mean, I know she she did the normal, well, maybe it's this, but rather than leaving it there and just saying, you know, you can't possibly, you don't have a family history, right? Or, or do you? I have a more distant family history. No, um, n- no positive genetic testing has come back, okay. but it's back there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at that time, though, there was nothing. Like you know, when they asked me if I had a family history, I said no. There's nobody in my family that had breast cancer. Then I found out after the fact that my grandmother had it, my aunt had it twice, and all this happened before I even breast cancer was even in my vocabulary and then since then my cousin got breast cancer my mom had breast cancer turns out I do have two genetic mutations for it that I got from my dad's side of the family and um, so sometimes you don't even know because back then people didn't talk about it so we might think you don't have one and then voila you find out that you do Um, but it, it sounds like you found it yourself and you know, maybe a minimal family history, but you took it seriously right out of the chute, which is also good because it's easy to think that because I'm 35, can't possibly be cancer, but it sounds like you jumped on it quickly. And it's, that's a really good thing that you did that. So, yeah, I, you know, I really have to credit my husband with um, some of that urgency because I remember feeling the lump and then going to him and saying, do you feel something here? And just remember watching his face as he felt it. And I knew, okay, the, this is something. Like he, I, I maybe could have been pacified, but he just really let me know through his face. And, you know, what he said to me was just this, this wasn't here before. We need to figure out what this is. Yeah, well, that's that's good that, you know, he was able to take that active role with you on all of this. So, um how, how does what kind of treatment did you have? You said you were HER2 positive. So what did you did you have surgery? What where did it go from there? Right. So at that point, I met my whole medical team, and it was decided that I should start with the chemo, with the goal of possibly shrinking that really large tumor, mm-hmm. and so that we could see, um, I guess, to see if the chemo was working, and then also maybe. It would give us some more options for surgery down the road. So I started with um, chemo. I had five months of chemo. I'm trying to remember what the drugs were. I know that I definitely had Herceptin. And Mm -hmm. since then, you know, other drugs have come to market for her too. But I was very glad that Herceptin existed at that point. This was 2012. And I did Herceptin uh, for the full 13 months. Um, And I did the other courses through um, five months, lost my hair, lost my eyebrows, my eyelashes, you know, went through all of that. Isn't that the weirdest thing? I mean, you know, you know, you're going to lose your hair, but when you lose your eyelashes and your eyebrows, those frame your face, you know, and it gives your, your eyes definition. And, you know, I didn't realize how different I would look because you can always put a wig on you know to cover the head or a hat or something but you can't cover the missing eyelashes and eyebrows and it's that's a strange feeling but you know it's a little freeing because you know mascara is expensive you don't have to wear any so 
I don't know. It's it's odd. It's an odd. It's definitely an odd thing. But um, so you went through that. Did you do radiation or any of those kinds of things? I did. So after the chemo, I did a mastectomy. I opted to have a unilateral mastectomy and just removed my left breast. I also decided not to have any breast mound reconstruction. So I just had a flat closure. And then from there, I went straight into 35 rounds of radiation. Wow. Okay. So now with her, I have to just say with her too, positive breast cancer, there was a time, like as you were mentioning, that you were on Herceptin. There was a time before Herceptin that they really didn't have anything that they knew of to really treat it. And they just kind of threw things at it just to see what might work. And and then her, and so it was a really tragic diagnosis, actually. But then they came up with Herceptin, and that changed the whole face of it. So it it's kind of a miracle drug that has really been, you know, shown to to be of great value to patients, you know, that that are experiencing that. I don't know if you know this, but there was a movie out with Harry Connick Jr. as the doctor. Um, who discovered Herceptin and had all his patients on trials and stuff. It was really quite a good movie. I don't remember the name of it, but if you Google the Herceptin movie with Harry Connick Jr., you can find it. But it, it was based on the true story of how they discovered Herceptin and, and the impact it had. Um, so let's move on beyond that. And let me ask you about what role does breast cancer play in your life now? Because you went through treatment for, for several months, it sounds like. And at some point you were able to just kind of let this go and then move on with, with other things. So tell us about, about that transition. Sure. So at that time I was really clinging to an idea of getting back to my life as it was before the cancer came. I remember feeling so floored when my oncologist said that I would be in treatment for a year. Um, I had never gone through anything medical that had had such an impact on my calendar as that. But I also just really clung to, okay, put my head down, do this work, and then I'll get back to just parenting and working and, you know, I'll be a normal 36-year-old at that point. The thing that really shocked me, and it took me a few years to really wrap my head around it, was that the woman who came out of breast cancer treatment wasn't the same one who went in. I was changed entirely. And so I really struggled at that point to figure out what my new normal was. And that's when I started looking for others like me and wanted to hear their stories and see their images and just learn how they were building a life after diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But it took a while to find them. And it also took a while of banging my head against that brick wall of just trying to get back to that quote unquote normal. I think we're going to go on out to break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
by enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about special challenges of young cancer survivors with our guest, April Stearns. And just before we went out to break, April was talking about um, what was, was kind of the biggest changes in your life at, at that time, you know, that you weren't the same person that went into cancer that came out of cancer. And, you know, I don't want to lose that thought because I think that was really very important. So you want to continue with that? Sure. So to paint the picture just a little bit broader, I was the only person that I knew 
who had been diagnosed with breast cancer in my social circles, you know, whether that was um, my immediate family, my colleagues, my friends, you know, I knew no one else who was diagnosed at a younger age. I had a grandmother who had metastatic breast cancer, um, and unfortunately she had passed away, but that was also when I was 18. So here I was at 35 with, with no one in my life to look at. My oncologist couldn't introduce me to anyone. I don't live in a terribly small town, but small enough, you know, that there wasn't anyone else here. So I was trying to put my life back together after diagnosis with no one to show me how, essentially. And as I was saying before our break, you know, I really bought into that idea of that I would just go back to normal. Breast cancer would just be a little blip on my radar. But it was it was impossible. I was totally changed. And I did want my life to get back to some kind of normal, but I realized at that point that it would need to encompass what I had been through and who I was now. Yeah, so, and it, it does yeah. it does change us. It changes us deep in our core, and you know, and not all that change is bad. Sometimes it's it's good change. You know, I I kind of discovered along my way that. Um, you know, through my own personal journey that it kind of forced me or no, I don't want to say forced me. It allowed me to make changes in the direction of my life to do things that I really had not done, but always wanted to, you know, for example, one of those things was I always wanted to be a professional speaker, but I needed a subject. Now I had one. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it's, it's, they're, they're good changes too. And I know you've created some good changes from that, that we're going to actually talk about in the next section. But before we, we, lo- we do- did lose a little bit of time here because of the um, technical issues that we had. But I want to ask you a little bit about parenting, if you don't mind, if we can go back to that. How old was your child when you were diagnosed? She was three years old. Three. Okay. Oh, she's just a little one. My youngest was 11. Um, so that's, that's really, really young. And I know she, was, she just had a birthday because we were going to do this last week, but we couldn't because of her birthday. So... Um, and I have a question for you, just off off the subject here a little bit. With all this coronavirus and staying at home and and being, you know, socially distant, how did you celebrate your daughter's birthday? You know, I was really worried about how that was going to go for her and yeah. really wanted, you know, to make sure it was special. I actually, one of the aspects that we did specifically because of the sheltering in place was I had a whole bunch of friends and family record little videos for her. And then we were able to make a little collage. And it it turned out way better than I ever could have imagined. But just all these people telling her that they missed her and they wanted her to have a great year. It was beautiful. It was really. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I love it. And how old is she now? So she just turned 12. She just turned 12. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard for kids right now, like all these kids trying to graduate from high school that don't get to celebrate that. And my granddaughter, Jenna, just turned 18, and she didn't get to really celebrate that much. And, you know, it's, this has been a tough year for kids. But, you know, the, the, the ability to use Zoom and, and, you know, Facebook chats and all these things has really, really helped quite a lot, I, I do believe. But um, so what, what advice do you have, you know, when, when your daughter was three and you were going through this, you know, you had, you had, you still had to take care of her. You still had to be mom. You're sick. You feel really bad. How did you manage all of that at that time? Yes. 
that's well, that's a, a great point because that is one of the things about being diagnosed young. A lot of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer in their 20s, 30s, 40s have really small children at home. Mm-hmm. And I was um, fortunate enough to really lean on my community to help me with that. And one of the things that we did was really try to put a positive spin on things for her. She we always told her in age appropriate language what I was going through so that she would know that something was happening. We didn't want to scare her, but I wanted to acknowledge the fact that kids will figure out that something is happening in the family, whether you Mm -hmm. tell them or not. And I wanted to be ahead of that message for her. So she knew that I was having cancer. She knew that I was having quote unquote big medicine to help kill it. Um, The thing that was harder for her was that up until that point, I had been working from home and we had been together nearly 24-7. Now, I was going to an infusion center. My infusions were taking all day. I was gone for lots of appointments. That was the part for her that was different about our life. And so I pulled together a bunch of family and friends again, and they gave us little gifts that we used as chemo gifts. So on the days that I had to be gone all day for chemo, we would have a little gift for her, a little surprise. And it just was just special enough that it took the focus off the fact that I was gone and she was sad and just made it about this new special, you know, a little teddy bear. Or I love that. Yeah. I I love that. That, That's great. And, you know, just to your point, and I love what you just said that, you know, rather than not tell her anything, you know, you told her you know, that you were sick and that you were getting some, some medicine to make it better. And, and I think that's really important. And, of course, there's age appropriateness of what you, what you want to tell them. But it, it is so important that you tell them something because if, they, if you don't and they hear mommy and daddy whispering in the background and, but you don't tell them anything, then they're left to their own imaginations of what's really going on. And at three years old, they just don't have a lot of, of knowledge base yet. So where that would go with them I don't I don't know I know with my kids at 11 and 12 you know they could be thinking things like you know mom and dad are getting getting divorced because they all know divorced parents and they don't know what's going on if you don't tell them something so it's important that you do reveal something and then making it special on those days that's that's pretty that's pretty significant I love that idea I think that's that's brilliant um so how is your daughter now she's 12 now how does she how does she deal with, how does she relate to cancer at this point in her life? So breast cancer is still a big part of our lives just because I have chosen to stay in the community um, with my work. So mm. she is surrounded by breast cancer um, stories. She knows that I have friends who have breast cancer, um, whether, you know, early stage or stage four. She, this is just part of the landscape of her life now. So we have a lot of discussions about it but she is my biggest champion and so encouraging of all of the work I do um she's always flipping through the magazine I know we're going to talk about that too but Mm -hmm. I don't shield her from any of that because one I want her to grow up knowing um what it's like that I started my own business and all of that but Mm -hmm. two you know at some point we'll have to talk about how breast cancer is now part of her family history Mm -hmm. and I haven't figured out yet how we'll talk about that, but I do know that when we do, it won't be a huge shock to her because it's just been woven into yeah. to this life we have now. 
And you decided, which is kind of a big deal, um, you decided to stay flat, right? And you mentioned that earlier in our conversation. What was that? What was that like to make that decision? So I, I didn't realize at the time that I was asking for anything special at all. Um, I've since come to learn that some women have to really fight to stay flat with their surgeons. But for me, I was just motivated by wanting to minimize surgeries and get back to parenting. It all came back to that idea that I would get back to that normal. And for me, that was being at home and not being a patient if I could control anything at all. And so I opted to stay flat because I didn't want further further surgeries. And I had also heard of different women having some complications with their implants and things like mm-hmm. that. So that yeah. was my there are a lot of options and a lot of ways to go, but being flat is definitely one of them. We at Breast Friends, we have a room full of what we lovingly refer to as boobs in a box. There, We have prosthetics in every size, shape, and form that you can imagine, and we give those away free of charge to women that have also chosen to go flat, but from time to time may want to have a little extra you know, in there if they're going out for a dressy event or something. But I know there's also a lot of women who have chosen to stay flat who embrace that to the point where they don't even want to wear anything like that. They've just chosen to go flat. How do you feel about that? I've been on both sides of it now. Um, Right after I was diagnosed, I thought that I would just stay flat and then came to discover that my daughter was having a hard time with that, not because of how I was looking to the rest of the world, but because it uh, it was hard for her to understand that my cancer treatment was done when the breast hadn't grown back. You know, she was only three at the time. Sure. Really hard for her. Yep. So I ended up getting a prosthetic breast at that point that she adored. She used to carry it around. She would (laughs) cuddle it. It was, it was a really big deal to her. (laughs) And um, I thought it would just be like my party. I called it my party foob. I thought I would only wear it when, you know, like you said, for special occasions or whatnot. But I actually ended up wearing it every day for five years until one day it exploded. Oh my! All the the goo, yep, all the goo inside (laughs) of it came out. Um, And my oncologist did give me another prescription for one. I just, you know, was busy and didn't get around to filling it. And now it's been two years that I've just been um, going about as flat. And I discovered that I'm really comfortable this way. And it's also opened some doors to other advocacy for other women who want to not only stay flat, but you know, go without a prosthetic and need to see that example as well. Well, I am so proud of you. I, you know, that's a, that's a big decision. And I do know a few women who have done it, but it's very few that have have really chosen that route as their first choice. And, and I think for some of them, they've even gone a little extra and they've had tattoos placed over them to just embrace, you know, they've tattoos of their favorite flowers or, you know, their favorite whatever, um, just to, you know, just really mark the the area and just say, this is who I am now. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, you know, there, there are some other implications from that. So I'm going to ask you a kind of a tough question. And for anyone listening, if you have small children, this might be a good time to put them to bed or pause this and go put them to bed. Um, but I do have a question for you. What can you speak about intimacy and how that decision to go flat has impacted your marriage, your husband? How does he feel about that? 
Sure. Yes. I think, you know, again, this is a really important question that doesn't get asked as much as it probably should. That's why I'm asking. (laughs) It's exactly why I'm asking. I love it. You know, I do remember when I was starting to go through cancer treatment um, that we were given some pamphlets about intimacy. But I also remember thinking like, oh, this isn't this isn't us. This isn't going to be our story at all and disregarded them. I don't feel that my my choosing to go flat has impacted our intimacy so much as the rest of cancer treatment did. You know, I was thrust really quickly into menopause, almost immediately into menopause. That has had a greater effect, I would say, on our intimacy. But one thing ended up being kind of a happy uh I don't know, coincidence is that because I opted to save one of my breasts, I did retain sensation and that has made a big impact on our intimacy and continuing forward. And that is an aspect that I hadn't considered at all in deciding whether to have a unilateral or a bilateral mastectomy. And I'm just glad that it happened to work out that I still have sensation in my natural breast. You know, that's really important, too, and and I think it's often overlooked, but it's not just about breasts filling out a a cup size or a dress size or cleavage or all. You know, there is a a certain amount of sensuality that, that, you know, we experience with having natural breasts and and what, what always, and I know that people say this lovingly, they don't mean to be offensive, but when they say, oh, you know, you're going to get nice, big, beautiful, fake boobs, and they're going to be great, except you can't feel a thing. You know, there's no sensation there. And it's not the same as having, you know, having real ones. And um, so, you know, just kind of to our audience, just be sensitive to that. It's not the same. And um, they might look okay, but there is, there's no sensation there. So just be aware of that. But well, I'm glad, honestly, April, that that has not had an impact, you know, for you because I, not every woman has that same story. And it's really sad when it when it changes. Um, so I know that with menopause too, being forced into menopause as early as you were, and I, I was forced into it as well. I was 43 when I was diagnosed, and being on tamoxifen and all these other things, I was on. I went went into menopause very quickly, and you know, besides the hot flashes, you also there's a weight gain issue that comes along, and I know that that's something that you that you've been dealing with. Um, You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, sure. I definitely experienced all of that. And I recall going to my five-year post-cancer checkup. And that was a big thing for me that I talked to about um, with my oncologist. You know, he said, you're healthy, you look good, but what's, you know, what's on your mind? And I said, this sticky weight gain from the menopause. And I had tried everything, changed my diet, everything. And he handed me a book called The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And it changed my life. It, it sent me down a path of intermittent fasting, which has become kind of a hotter topic. But I have been practicing it now for two years. And, um, and it, was, it was the trick for me. So how does it work? Because I know so, there's a lot of us that that deal with this. I dealt with it for, for quite a long time. And um, so how does it work? Right. So it's really simple. It's just delaying eating. So there's a lot of different ways that people can opt to do that. The most popular is to fast for 16 hours. 
and then eat for eight hours. So that might mean just pushing breakfast out and starting your eating at noon and going until 8 p.m., you know, with all of your meals within that eight-hour window. But giving your body that 16-hour break with no food to digest is, is the trick. It's the little thing that really makes all the difference. Can I just to clarify, when you say eat for eight hours, that doesn't mean you eat for eight hours. Like, just <laughs> no. sit down and eat for eight hours. Right. Just no. want to clarify so no one says, well, I heard that on the Breast Friends radio show. You can eat for right. eight hours. Mm, no. So what you're talking about is have all your meals within an eight-hour window. So exactly. breakfast, lunch, dinner, mm-hmm. maybe a couple little snacks. But that eight-hour window, and then you're done, and you don't eat again until tomorrow, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's exactly I, it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that kind of eliminates those midnight snacks that you know. Yeah. sometimes we make very poor decisions like ice cream and French bread, and all these wonderful things, pie, whatever's laying around because midnight, you know, you're not really thinking too clearly at that point. But anyway, exactly. well, we are we're going to go out to break. So when we come back, we're going to talk about your magazine and um, and if there's anything else here that we need to kind of finish up on that we might have missed because we got to throw in a little bit off track here um, we'll come back and finish those but I do want to get to your magazine and hear all about how you started it what's it for how people can get a copy of it and that so stay tuned we will be back in a minute become our friend on Facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America thank you for listening today Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. 
To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. And before we continue with our last segment here, um, I just wanted to remind our listeners, if you love our show and we're assuming that you do or you would not be listening on a regular basis, please share the links with your friends and let people know to tune in and listen to us. So there's, there's different ways you can support us. One is, of course, to share the links. Then you can also join Breast Friends Around the Globe, which is a Facebook group page um, where you can actually go on and comment and, you know, post your thoughts and all that. It's not a regular Facebook page. It's a group page. So you have to join. And most people are just automatically added. But um, if there is a delay, it's just because there's we don't know you yet. But I'm just going to click OK as soon as I see it. So uh, it won't take but just a minute. And, and then you can comment on different episodes. And also consider being a guest on our show. If you've got a unique story, something that you find maybe we haven't talked about yet and you'd like to to consider that, send me a note at Becky at breastfriends.org and just let it let me know what your subject is and we can chat about it and see if it might fit in. And the other way, of course, you can support us is this is 2020. Breast Friends is in our 20th year as an organization. So consider making a $20 and 20 cent donation in honor of Breast Friends 20th year in 2020. So you can do that through breastfriends.org. There's a big donate button at the top of the page. Click on that and make your donation there. So with that, we are going to come back to our show. We've been talking about special challenges of young cancer survivors with our guest, April Stearns. So April, before we went out to break, we talked about intermittent fasting, and that's where you don't eat anything for 16 hours and you get all your meals in over an eight-hour period, which ends kind of the midnight rating of the refrigerator, as we discussed. So why don't you just take a minute and tell us about your success that you had with intermittent fasting? Sure. I'm so excited to share it because every time I see my oncologist now, he is so tickled because, you know, he was the one who turned me on to this. And um, and he's always asking me this question, like, how much have you lost now? So I have lost 80 pounds now. Wow. And yeah. It, and like I said, that's been over the past two years, but it has worked for me in a way that nothing else has has worked and it's really been something that you know once I put it into motion just kicking out that breakfast and I also eliminated snacks between meals but once I I wrapped my head around not eating constantly throughout my day and just being more intentional about it and then stopping and letting my body uh, have those breaks um, you know that 16 hour break then it, it was almost like the work of holding on to that weight just reversed itself and it started to slowly come off and um, and it's and been amazing. How long have you kept it off now? Um, so I actually lost the the mass or the bulk of it really quickly. So I've probably kept it off for a year and a half now. Wow. Good for you. You know, when you think about 80 pounds, it's like, okay, picture how much that is. So I'm going to give you a little picture. You remember those old cans of Crisco? Now you're young, so you your mom might not have cooked with Crisco, but... Those of us our age, we're very familiar with a can of Crisco. It's like a, a can of this white lard <laughs> that we'd put in pie crust. And, well, you know, they were a five-pound can. Okay, that's about 16 of those. You know, and that's a heavy five-pound can of lard. And picture 16 of those 
coming off your body permanently. Woohoo! I love that. So Thank good you. for you. That's that's really incredible. I'm so proud of you. So I might Thank have to try you. that. I've got 10 more pounds to go before I can get into this really spectacular dress I bought. So I'm working on it. Um, but I haven't lost 80 yet. I've only lost about 50 so far. But, you know, I'm getting there. Um, all right. So let's. we're going to switch gears now because we only have one segment left. And I really want to get to this subject. And you started a magazine. And it all started because of the power of telling your story. So why don't we talk about that? Tell us about the power of telling your story. Yes. So just to go back in time a little bit to um, to who I was coming out of that diagnosis and treatment period, as I mentioned earlier, I was the only person in my social circles that had been diagnosed young. I was going through things like parenting a young child, the intimacy and body image things that we talked about, then menopause. I was the only person going through all of that in my social circles, and that was really um, it, it's just so lonely to feel like you're the only one going through it. And I had such a great group of friends and colleagues and family, but I really longed to hear the stories and see the images of others who could really, truly relate to what I was going through. So for me, a big switch happened when I had a chance encounter with another young woman who was also going through breast cancer young. She was even younger than I was when she was diagnosed. And when we met, she had just been diagnosed with a metastatic reoccurrence. And she went on um, and still is one of my very best friends. But through the power of meeting her and sharing our stories, I just felt this calm and normalcy coming into my life with regard to my breast cancer diagnosis in a way I had never experienced before. She and I met in a group that was all about writing. That's always been my particular brand of um, expressing myself and working through trauma. And so I met her in this group where we were writing our personal stories and was realizing how much I was gaining from learning how to tell my story. It was healing me from the inside, but then also hearing her breast cancer story being told through her own words and in her own way was almost healing me as well because every time she told a story that I could relate to, it was just this big aha moment for me of like looking in a mirror. And so I started, my wheels started turning on how I could share what I was experiencing with more people and amplify it. And that's where the idea of publishing a magazine for others to tell their stories and to get those stories out grew. And that's how I made Wildfire. Well, I'm I'm very impressed with that. So this group that you met her at, this was not a group for breast cancer patients, right? It's just a writing group. And then exactly. you... You just tell your story and it just so happened that you both had similar stories. Exactly, exactly. And we weren't even actually supposed to talk to each other about our stories. But of course, she and I couldn't help but, you know, chase each other down in the parking lot and be like, I know what you're going through. So so you said you've always used writing. So when did you start writing? I actually started writing as a teenager, um, you know, I was one of those late night writing in my journal kinds of girls. And then it just followed me into into adulthood. I had my first um, online writing experience when I started a blog when my daughter was born. But before that, I actually worked at a newspaper and did other writing and had always thought that writing would be 
my career. Um, but I got sucked into the dot-com boom in Silicon Valley and got away from it for a while. You're one of those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, all that techie stuff. You know, we always joke about if you don't know how to fix something on your computer, ask a 12-year-old. Well, you know, you're a little older than that, but you've probably been doing this for a while. So, um, it's so true. Why was writing useful during the breast cancer treatment year specifically? Right. So I had so many friends and family who wanted to keep up with what I was going through. You know, they were always asking me what what the latest was or how they could help. Um, So on the one hand, keeping that writing as a place where my husband or family could direct people who wanted to know how I was. So I wouldn't have to answer the same question a million times was helpful. Good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, but it also, well, I was just going to say it was also a place where I could pour out some of those deep, dark thoughts that I found myself having in the middle of the night. You know, I was really racked with guilt for being the one who kind of brought this big bad into our family, our new little budding family. And here I was, you know, with breast cancer. And so I needed a place to pour out those those thoughts and feelings and and my blog became that place for me. That's wonderful. You know, I think it's so important that whatever we, whatever drives us or or guides us, you know, that that's what we need to be doing because we all have a story to share. You know, your story is super powerful and the next 35 year old that gets diagnosed who hears your story is going to not feel so alone. And we all have stories in us and somehow getting that out, whether it's writing or, you know, I write too, but I, my, my channel of preference is really to be on a stage in front of a lot of people. And, you know, it's kind of weird, I know, but <laughs> that's what I like to do. And, you know, whatever, whatever direction God has given you to go forward in telling your story and being able to, to, you know, bring light to people who need to hear this right now. So good for you. I'm just, I'm just so in awe of what you're doing. So, um, when you talk about writing, what advice do you have for others who want to write their breast cancer story? Well, I would say, first of all, you don't have to be a quote-unquote writer to write your story. I think there's a lot of people who think that that's someone else's work and and they can't do it because maybe they've always been self-conscious about their spelling or their grammar or something like that. And I just want to assure anyone listening who feels that way that that's that's not important. All those things can be fixed, you know, through an editor or something like that. What's really important is just getting your story out. Mm-hmm. And so I really encourage people to just just let it flow. Set aside time every day, maybe just 10 minutes to start experimenting with letting it flow. And it's like any muscle. The more you do it, the more easily it comes. Um, another, a nice thing to do too is using writing prompts and there's lots of sources for writing prompts, but if you don't know how to begin a story, sometimes it's helpful to have a little trigger such as, you know, what was the first chemo appointment like or something like that, that just Mm kind of gets you writing. And then usually you go off in a different direction, but it's just helpful to get started. It's, you know, and that get started, that's the key. 90% of success happens when you just get started, right? Exactly. It's kind of like Nike's thing with just do it. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about it forever and organize and do all that stuff, but you just got to start at some point in time. And so, yeah, and there's a whole bunch I could talk about 
that. I should probably do a show on writing sometime. Um, so where, what are some options for women? We're almost out of time, but where are some options for women to publish your story? And let's start with your magazine in case we do run out of time. So if people want to get, in fact, let's just go there. Um, how do people get in, get connected to your magazine if they, as a source for maybe sharing their story? How does that Absolutely. work? Absolutely. Yes. Well, the best place to start is the website, which is wildfirecommunity.org. And I publish every other month on different themes related related to survivorship for younger women, you know, body, intimacy, parenting, etc. Mm-hmm. And so the best place is to start there. And then they can email me their story and we'll link it up with a theme that's coming up. And like I said, it, you don't have to be a writer. You just have your story. You were diagnosed in your 20s, 30s, 40s. Please, please reach out and share your story. I would love to publish it. So if someone wants to do this and they're scared, they've never done it before, is this like an audition where they submit something that may be, may be approved, may be rejected, or do you, do you just accept all everything that's sent to you? Because it's a print magazine, I am limited on space. So I do, um, I do have to turn some people down, but usually I'm able to help them craft it for another theme. Um, okay. coming up. So we work together. Yeah. So this is a print magazine. I it did is. not I did it's, not realize that. Okay. Yeah. It's both. So actually. isn't print kind of dead now? I mean <laughs> I know I, I used that. to I used to work for the yellow pages and you know now they come in the door, they go right in the recycle bin, sorry. But um, you know, isn't print dead? What what's So I found that there are a lot of people who love to have something tangible to hold, but to the people who don't or who want to read online, I do offer it in digital as well. So there's a little for everyone. Good for you. Well, I am just so impressed with you, and I wish I had more time to talk about the magazine, but um, we're kind of coming up here. So um, so in order for people to submit a story or subscribe, they go to wildfirecommunity.org. Is there a fee for the for the hard copy of the magazine? I assume that there is. got to make some money, too. So how, exactly. mm-hmm. what's, yep. what's it so, cost? So people can subscribe. It's $100 for the year in print or 80 for the digital, and then there's okay. also single issues available. Okay, great. Well, I think that sounds wonderful and reasonable. And so if people want to reach out to you, we are out of time. If people want to reach out to you, is there a, a contact on wildfirecommunity.org? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Start there. So wildfirecommunity.org. Reach out for April Stearns. April, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. We will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.